this year's VBS. It's uh, the week of June 21st through the 25th. So if you're able to be here, we would love to put you to work. You'll get such a blessing out of it. Uh, and But we're doing this uh, dual campus this year. So both campuses will be coming together. Uh, so our Arlington and Bartley kids. So this place is going to be packed with kids. Praise God, hallelujah. One of the best sounds that any preacher can hear is a bunch of kids running around in a church. I promise you. And so we're so thankful for our children's ministry and for Lynn and Rhiannon and all that they do. Uh, I know our students are going to be helping. Cameron's already got uh, some ideas about how they can jump in and serve during that week. So we, uh, we have a donation board somewhere. I think it may be in the foyer um, where you can you know, grab a tag and help supply some, uh, provide some extra things you know, to kind of make the week go well. So uh, if you want to grab one of those, by all means do that. And you can uh, give that to Lynn or contact her. So we're... So excited about everything. Also, I want to say thank you uh, for those of you who came out yesterday for our monthly giveaway, our help group. And uh, so, um, as always, it's just such a blessing to be able to continue to serve our community. And uh, for those of you who are here, we cannot thank you enough. And so our next help group, again, every third Saturday of the month. And so I encourage you guys, when the summer hits and then we're going in a thousand different directions, numbers, volunteer numbers start to go down. And so this would be a great time for any of you who've never joined our help group to step in and see what it's all about. Awesome ministry that we have there as well. So with that being said, we're going to jump in to the book of Revelation chapter 6. This morning we have covered the first seal and uh, we, we're gonna do, I'm going to do my best to maybe get through the second and third seal today. We'll just kind of have to see how time goes and I don't really have... Uh, you know, a goal to get through the message. And so I'm going to try to treat these like I have in the past, and I'm going to try to cover everything that I can. If we get to a stopping point, we'll just stop and, and we'll pick up where we left off next time. And so if you do have a copy of God's Word today, as we've been in the, the study of the book of Revelation, Alpha and Omega, we are jumping into Revelation 6, beginning. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll probably recap verse 1 just to... Uh, just to set the context, but what we are in the middle of right now is what some people call the, the, the riders of the apocalypse, the four horsemen of the apocalypse and things like that. And, and again, I'm doing my best to give you an understanding of what I believe is really happening here, what these horses represent, um, and how it applies to you and to me, especially for those of us who believe that we are living in a very interesting and unique generation um, that could very well be um, the generation of the time of the end. And so we're just going to jump off there from the seven seals in the book of Revelation. Uh, as a review, you see, uh, I came up with this chart and, uh, you know, just tried to keep it as simple as I possibly could. And those of you who have notes, the PDF files, the, this chart is in your notes. And you can kind of see how my perspective, again, just to let you know where I, how I approach the book of Revelation is I believe the six seals are giving us the big picture of the entire tribulation period or specifically the great tribulation. There may be a little bit of overlap there um, as far as when the seals begin. As we looked at the rider on the white horse last week, I do believe that that is representative of what we call the beast. He's called the little horn. He's called the man of lawlessness, the son of perdition. Uh, we have spent uh, plenty of time trying to get a, a profile of this character and, and all the different passages in Scripture that give us some clues, context clues, and descriptions of who he is and what he's going to do. And, and what, what's the number one sign of the end of the age that has something to do with the Antichrist? It's called the what? 
the abomination that causes desolation. And so if you see kind of that skull in the very middle of the timeline there, that's what we would consider the midpoint of the 70th week of Daniel, otherwise known as the last seven years. Okay, so we are waiting for this very last seven-year period. Okay, I believe that that can be interpreted from Daniel 9. As Daniel's given a vision, and he's given the vision of 70 weeks, and there's still one week remaining that has not been fulfilled. It is yet future, and I do not believe it has begun yet, but we could be, you know, <laughs> we know we're getting closer. No matter what, we know we're getting closer. We're closer today than we were yesterday. That's undisputable. But as we try to parse these things and understand them and put the pieces together and draw the data points and the connecting dots as we look through uh, the scripture, that's my best interpretation of the, of, the, of the events of the end of the age. And so you kind of have this midpoint of the abomination that causes desolation, which leads into the Great Tribulation where the Antichrist or this rider on the white horse will unleash the worst persecution of God's people that the world has ever seen. And then along with that, there will be many judgments of God that will be taking place coinciding with this time. I mean, it, it's, it's, that's why it's called, that's why Jesus said that it will be the worst time that has ever been. It will never be equaled again. It has never been equaled before. So in, in other words, this last three and a half years is the worst time in human history. And that's why we call it the, that's what makes the great tribulation so so great, so terrible in that, in that regard, okay? And so you can look at that timeline, and we'll refer to that from time to time to try to... Uh, some people are visual learners, and so that may kind of help you put some things together, and some of you may totally disagree with that timeline, and that's fine, and, and you have every right to do so. Uh, but that's kind of where I'm coming from when it comes to the study in the book of Revelation. So last couple of weeks, we looked at the first seal, okay? And uh, we, he's called the rider on the white horse, I'm not going to go back into that. You can go listen to those messages or look at the notes. Um, he has a bow. We're given very little detail about who this rider is. Um, but again, the rest of Scripture fills in the blanks. You know, uh, Ezekiel 38, Daniel 9, Daniel 11, Daniel 8, uh, Revelation 13, Revelation 17. Those are the other passages that really begin to fill in the blanks of who this character is. Um, but he came out conquering and, and to conquer. He was given a crown. Uh, I told you my interpretation. I believe that Satan is eventually cast to the earth. He's confined to the earth during the last three and a half years of human history. He no longer is allowed to operate in the heavenly realm. Revelation 12 says he's cast down. And I think at that point he's like, okay, I need a man to operate through. And I think that he enters into this guy. And whatever that looks like, whether it's genetic, it's supernatural, it's demonic, it's all of the above... But this guy, this rider on the white horse, he's going to be different. And that's why they probably call him the what? The beast. He's going to be something different, okay? So he's going to be unlike anything that we've probably ever seen. And so we, we, spent, we spent, spent plenty of time talking about him. And before we get into the next rider, which is the rider on the red horse, which is representative of violence and really just war in general. I want to address this real quick. 1 Thessalonians 5, look at what it says. It says, You yourselves were fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, 
Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains. There's that, that reference to, to labor pains. That's one of the, the, the primary illustrations that is used in Scripture to, to describe the, the great tribulation, the, the intensification of labor pains. Things are getting increasingly worse, more painful. The, the earth is groaning. The, uh, the pain, uh, the, the travail of that time is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse until the baby is born, right? That's the picture that we get. And who is the quote-unquote baby that we're looking for that will bring so much joy? That's Jesus. So it's going to get bad, 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 worse, worse, worse. The labor pains are going to get so bad. It's going to be unbearable. The worst time in human history. And then Jesus comes back at the end and we all celebrate with joy and rejoice because the baby has arrived. And all the pain and suffering that we went through will not be remembered because we will be in the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. What a beautiful picture. But this is what it says. It says, It will come upon them like a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are, talking of believers, we're not in darkness to be surprised like a thief. Okay? Now, I want to bring attention to that one phrase, there is peace and security. Because I hear this all the time, and I think there may be a little bit of a uh, misunderstanding, at least from my perspective. Okay? Where do we get this idea where there is peace? There is peace when there really is no peace. Well, if you've ever read Brother John, do y'all know what he's, what's he been preaching through in, the, in 930? Jeremiah. Well, in Jeremiah's day, what was happening? The Babylonian army was invading Israel. They were taking out city after city after city. I mean, the people of Jerusalem knew, here they come. And there's nobody that could stop the Babylonian army. So there was a massive war going on at this time in Jeremiah's day. But what were the false prophets in Israel and in Jerusalem telling the people? Peace. There's going to be peace. They're not going to come into our city. They're not going to conquer Jerusalem. God would never let them do that. There's peace. There's security. You can rest. You can be at ease. Don't listen to Jeremiah. He's telling you lies. We're trying to tell you what's really going to happen. God's not going to let the city be taken. Even to the point when the city was surrounded by the Babylonian army, they laid siege to the city. They cut off the supply chains. They were starving in the city. They were eating their own children. That's how bad it gets. Even to that point, they were so delusional that they, they were still preaching what? Peace and security. And then finally, the Babylonians did what? Breached the city wall, burned down the temple, took the people into exile, and basically laid waste to the city, killing so many people. So when it says there is peace and security, what Paul is referring to is it will be just like it was in the days of Jeremiah. Amen. It doesn't mean that there's going to be no war. It means that their people are going to be living under a delusion of false peace and false security while there is tremendous turmoil going on around them, especially in the Middle East. And that, and that goes in hand in hand with what we talked about a few weeks ago with this, this covenant of death that Israel will sign. They're going to find some type of false security with this agreement that they make with some many nations surrounding them. And they're going to be lying to themselves saying, we have found peace and security. Surely this beast isn't going to come and conquer our city again. And guess what's going to happen? It's going to happen again. Amen. History and prophetic patterns in the Bible repeat themselves. That's what that means right there. So when we're talking about the rider on the red horse, we are talking about war. We're talking about violence. We're talking about something that is going to be a distinct, difficult time of unrest. And we're going to get into all of that. But in the midst of this, 
Will the Antichrist, the rider on the white horse, will he provide sometime some kind of false security? Yeah, I think he will. But that doesn't mean that we're living in utopia for a long time. Do you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't mean that there's not going to be any war on the earth at that time. There's going to be plenty of war. Jesus told us there's, when you hear of what? Wars and rumors of wars and revolutions and nation will rise against nation and ethnicity will rise against ethnicity. We're going to see kingdom against kingdom. We're going to see all these things happening. That's what he's talking about. But there's going to be a delusion among the people who think that they're, going to, they're going to not going to be affected by that. Okay, that's what it means when it means peace and security. Okay, just trying to draw that distinction because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what it's going to be like during that time. So let's look at Revelation 6. Let's look at the rider on the second horse, the second seal. It says, when, the, when he opened, who is he? Jesus. Remember, Jesus is opening the seals. He is releasing these judgments. In other words, he is ordaining these things to happen. Now, there's a, there's a mystery about the will of God. We know that God is, does no evil. Okay, God does know everything he does is good and righteous and true. But God is permitting these writers to do the things that they are basically bound to do. And so he's the one that's unleashing these things to happen because he's trying to bring everything to an end. He wants to bring everything to its culmination so he does return and claim his kingdom once and for all. Okay, so Jesus is un, he's tearing the seals. And it says, I heard one of the uh, living creatures say, Come, and out came another horse bright red. Its rider was permitted, again, he was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. Okay? So who is this rider on the red horse? Well, I'll give you... Again, my best interpretation is I believe the rider on the red horse represents the supernatural God of war. He will be given authority. He'll be permitted to take peace from the earth in the last days. Now, if you were with me a few weeks ago, I tried to show you guys that when we look at these complex issues in prophecy, there's a human component that we have to account for. So there's going to be war on the earth among humankind. But there's also a what? Supernatural component that is behind them. Okay? So it's not either or. It's both and. Okay? So I believe this rider... Now we know these riders on these horses, in my estimation, Zechariah 1 and Zechariah, I think it's chapter 6, they give us a better uh, understanding of who these riders on the horses are. I believe they are supernatural entities. They're patrolling the earth, and their one desire is to unleash hell on earth, to unleash chaos on the earth. That's all that they're waiting to do. And that's what Zechariah 1 and 6 tells us. They find the earth at rest, but they're so anxious to go and do what they're bound to do. And it is at this time when Jesus begins tearing the seals that he says, okay, go do what you're what you want to do. He's going to give the world over to this time. And that's a hard thing to reconcile. A lot of people struggle with that. You mean God, the Jesus, the one who loves the world, who gave his life, and he's going to unleash these terrible creatures and these terrible supernatural beings and permit all these things to happen? Yeah, he, he is. And he's bringing all these things to, its, to their conclusion. 
according to his good will and pleasure, as, he, as, his, as it has been written. Okay? So there's that dynamic going on here. Okay? So let's, let's unpack this uh, briefly. Now, <clears throat> there's a, a picture there. In, in Greek mythology, there was a god of war, and his name was Ares, or otherwise known as Mars. What, what, what color is Mars? We call it the red planet. And again, from Greek mythology, they associated the stars and the planets and the, the celestial orbits and those things, and they identified them and, and, and attributed to them different deities and gods, and, and they kind of drew a correlation to them. That doesn't mean, I think, the planet Mars, the actual rock that's floating up in the, in the solar system right now, is Aries or is Mars, but there's an association with this demonic god of war, okay? Let me just give you a little bit of a, um, listen to this. It says, uh, he was known, this is the, the Greek god Ares, the Roman god Mars. He was called the red god or, the, you know, representing the red planet. He was feared by all the pagan nations as the one who brought vengeance on people. And he, in, he issued judgment for the gods. He was dangerous, overwhelming force that was insatiable in battle. His animals... Again, they, they, they ascribed animals to this God, were the vulture and the dog. And we see in all these uh, apocalyptic scenes of the end and the judgment of God and all the, the, the earth that is given over to all this bloodshed and all this violence and all this war, what do we see as pictured? Jesus said, where you see the vultures gather, right? There you know where the carcass will be. He uses the imagery of the vulture. When Jezebel was killed and thrown off the top of the uh, city wall and landed and splatted on the ground, what ate her body and her blood up? The dogs. I know that's, that's grotesque, right? But I mean, these are, these are unclean animals that are associated with bloodshed and war so that after a battle and you have all these strong bodies all over the battlefield, what would begin to gather around them? The vultures and the, and the wild beasts of the field would come and the, the, cat, the, the uh, carnivores and scavengers, okay? So, so that's kind of the, the, the mythological picture of what's happening uh, in this passage. But let's get into more of a biblical picture. Now there again, I showed you Zechariah 1. I won't go through, but he gives the very same description, a man riding on a red horse, and you can look at that. But what I want to show you too as well is that we have to remember that these, these supernatural horsemen are also to an extent under the direction of the devil himself. Now Jesus is permitting them to, to go, but what's the, what's the calling card of Satan? He comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. So he loves the rider on the red horse, whatever you want to call him, Aries or Mars or whatever. He's a supernatural entity, but he loves it because this rider comes and brings death and destruction in its wake. And we know that we're from God, but the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And so Satan is definitely has his role in all of this. And I know that these are... These are complex issues, you know. Who's in control? Well, God is in control, yeah. But he allows other, these other beings and entities to have their day and to have their way. And so he's ultimately in control, but he, we still have free will and we still have choice in, in the whole matter. So there's a, there's a lot of complex things, you know, if you're looking at that theologically. 
but I'm not going to get into that today. So let's look at what it means about the rider on the red horse. Jesus said, just as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Well, what was it like in the days of Noah? Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh. had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. From Genesis to Revelation, we, have, we draw the thread, and Jesus is pointing us back to the days of Noah, just saying, hey, if it was that bad before the flood and before the days of Noah where I was so grieved in my heart that my image bearers were not representing me anymore, and this terrible violence was just being unleashed on the earth and all this corruption and all this bloodshed, he said, it's going to be that way again. Because remember, what did Jesus say? The great tribulation will be the worst time in human history, even worse than the days of... That's hard for me to process sometimes. Because he wiped the whole planet off during the days of Noah. And so we understand that Jesus is drawing these parallels. So let's talk again about birth pains. Jesus said this. He says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Okay? See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. So as this rider on the red horse is unleashed, he will have authority and be permitted to begin to create violence and bloodshed and war so that men will begin to slay one another like never before. But Jesus said, when you begin to see these things, realize that the end is not yet. These things must take place for nation will rise against nation. Now, that's a very specific term. That means ethnic group will rise up against ethnic group. That's the word ethnos. Okay, nation. Here in the United States of America, you see it, unfortunately, even though I think we've moved way past that in so many ways, the media likes to stir up the whole black versus white thing, right? We're living in a generation where that old sore just continues to show up, and we're like, okay, do we really hate each other? I don't hate you. I don't think black people hate me. But the media just stirs the pot, right? And we play into it every time. And then we begin to see ethnic group pitted against ethnic group, taking our eyes off the, the real hope of, of humanity. And so that's one of the, the, the uh, illustrations of what you're going to see in the last days. You're also going to see kingdom rise up against kingdom. Okay? And then there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. But these are the beginning of what? They're the beginning of birth pains. So let me draw attention real quick to this phrase, rumors... Of wars. This is one of the most little, little caveat, little nuance in the scripture that just to me is like, God is so awesome. That word right there, rumor, is literally the word a report. Okay? Now, if you have your phone today, and you're like me, you probably have a couple of news apps on your phone, and you can pull it up right now, and you can find out what's happening right now in Gaza, in Israel. Now, in Jesus' day, how long would it take for information about a battle in Gaza in North, North America? It may not even get there. You know, I mean, information moved a lot, what? A lot slower back in Jesus' day. But Jesus is telling us that one of the signs of the end is that you will begin to, what? Hear rumors or reports of wars. 
And what's fascinating to me is that we can pick up our phone at any given moment, just punch a button, touch a screen, and at that very moment we can know what's going on in China, South America, in the Middle East, in uh, Africa. We can hear and find out news reports of anything and everything that's going on in real time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I believe Jesus is pointing us to a day when there is free and full access to news reports and news sources. That's exactly what he's talking about right here. There will be a day when we will be able to have access to these things. Let me give you a couple. Okay, so, so here's the way I want to look at the God of war or the supernatural rider on the red horse. There's different types of violence that we're going to have to be dealing with with this rider on the red horse. Let me give you a couple of them real quick. See if I can find out where it is here. All right. Number one, you're going to have civil unrest in just your community, in cities. Um, you know, if we haven't experienced that here in America in the last few years, we certainly experienced it last year. I mean, I don't, think we've, I don't think we can forget what was happening to the cities, many of the cities in America just last year in 2020. They were burned down. If you lived in Minneapolis or Portland and parts of New Jersey, St. I mean, there were other, Chicago, there were other places. I mean, they literally were burning the streets. It was not safe to go out to the downtown city in those areas. That's called civil unrest. Pair that now with the, the fact that police officers are retiring in a record number right now because they're not respected and they're, they're painted out to be the bad guys. And I don't know about you, but the same people that want to blame police officers if somebody comes beating on their door, the first thing they're going to do is call what? 911. You better come protect me. I don't want you to, you know, I, I don't really think that you're... You're needed, but when something comes right to your door, you need police protection. You understand real quick, wait a minute, we do value safety and security in our culture, and police officers provide that. And this whole defund the police thing is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen in my life. And the cities that are doing this are, are unfortunately reaping the terrible consequences now of violence is escalating and murder rates are going up out the roof. And people are realizing real quick, wait a minute, when you take police off the streets, then you mean it gets worse? Who would have thought that? You know? But there's going to be increasingly times of, of civil unrest that's going to be taking place. And, and again, I, I hope, again, I don't want this stuff to happen. I don't want to see the day where I have to guard my wife and my children and where they go and can they get out in the streets and is there going to be martial law? Is there going to be all this civil unrest and things like that? But that's part of what it means that violence will be, peace will be taken from the earth. Men will be given authority to slay one another. There's going to be overwhelming amounts of violence. There's going to be revolutions taking place all over the world. Okay, so all the instability in different nations where people will begin to, to try to revolt and to riot and, and uh, create revolutions and coups and those kind of things. And then there's what I call the other aspect of the rider of the red horse, and that's what I call territorial conflicts, regional conflicts, wars that we're going to see and that the Bible has predicted to take place. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here, 
But Daniel 8 is one of the most fascinating prophecies in my estimation because Daniel 8 is told four, four times in that whole passage. It says, this prophecy, this vision is for the appointed time of the end. And a lot of people look at that and say that happened in the past. It was all fulfilled in history. And I'm not going to go into Daniel 8 this morning. But what I want to show you is that we're expecting regional conflict between uh, Turkey, which is Yavon in, in Daniel 8, and Persia, which is the, the territory of Iran in Daniel 8. There's going to be a clash among those two empires and those two entities. I believe we'll see it very soon. But it's going to be these kind of conflicts and wars, regional wars that are going to lead up to even further instability in the Middle East and further instability in the world. And there you kind of see a map where you, the Daniel 11 also talks about this king of the north, king of the south clash that takes place. And so you're going to see Egypt, I think, involved in some of this regional conflict. Saudi Arabia is hated by many of the other Muslim, Muslim majority nations in the Middle East. And so they're kind of a, a wild card out there. And so you just kind of have to wait and see what's going to happen. And of course, what's going on in Israel right now? Israel is under one of the worst rocket attacks that we've seen probably in the last 20 years. Um, they're in an all-out ground assault now against Hamas, which is a terrorist organization in the Gaza Strip. We don't know where it's going to lead. We don't know when it's going to end. I, I mean, Israel's been here before. I'm not saying that this is, like, this is the end. I mean, it, we've seen plenty of conflict in the Middle East. It's nothing new, right? But we know when things like this begin happening in Israel... All it takes is the right circumstances to trigger a larger war event that could lead to something much greater. And we just kind of have to pray. We, we just have to pray for everyone involved, keep our eyes on Jesus, but also pay attention to what's happening in Jerusalem and there in Israel. Amen. Because, guys, we know that that is the centerpiece of God's prophetic time clock. It is Jerusalem and it is the nation of Israel. Look at what Isaiah 19 says. In the context of the coming of the Lord. Again, you have to read prophetic scripture in patterns, okay? So he's talking about when, when the Lord rides on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt, it says all of the Egyptians are going to tremble at his presence. Well, we know that's the day of the Lord when Jesus comes and Egypt's going to tremble like the rest of the world. But look at what it says in Isaiah 19. He's, and now, he's, he's given us a picture of what's going to be happening before Jesus returns. He says, he will stir up Egyptians against Egyptians. They will fight each other against another, and each against his neighbor, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. You see, Jesus quoted directly from Isaiah 19 right here in Matthew 24. Same language, okay? He says, and then I will give, over to the, uh, give the Egyptians over into the hand of a hard master, a cruel master, and a fierce king will rule over them, declares the Lord God of hosts. That's talking about, I believe, the Antichrist. So he's going to have regional conflict with Egypt. He's going to conquer them, and he's going to have authority over them for a season. Okay? So we see all these little pieces of the picture kind of being put together. So those are the, the primary ways that we're going to see violence increase on the face of the earth. Remember, civil unrest, uh, uh, the, the rule of law will be continually eroded out from underneath us. God forbid we let that happen in America, but we've let it happen this far. Who's going to stop it? Who's going to stand up and stop it? That's a good question, right? I mean, what are you doing to make sure your police department's not defunded? It's a legitimate question. I don't know, but I don't want it to come to martial law where we have to be every man fend for himself. But you know what? It may get to that point. 
But that's what anarchy is all about. When you think about Antifa and these organizations that are basically paid mercenaries to go into communities and just create chaos. That's what they want to do. They want to false flag. They want to create chaos. They want to, they want to shift the focus off. Usually when you have a false flag or this, the, these riots in the street, it's usually because some corrupt politician is about to get caught with some terrible thing that he or she did, and they want to take their, the attention off of themselves and put it on something else. That's usually what happens, if, if you want to be honest. But that's what anarchy is all about. Anarchy is the ugly mother that gives birth to communism. What is anarchy? It's chaos. It's just total chaos, right? We saw it in America last year in 2020. Every communist revolution started with anarchy. Where the ones who end up having the most firepower, the ones that have the biggest guns, end up what? Winning. That's all that it comes down to. Whoever has the most force and the most power will come out on Top. And so the first thing that a communist or a socialist government will do, or the first thing that the anarchist will do, is that they're going to take away the right of every citizen to bear arms. Have you heard that lately in the news? It's like, you know, I've heard the, the politicians say, well, you know, why do you need a, an AR-15 to, to hunt a deer? And I'm like, I ain't worried about the deer. It's the government that I'm worried about coming knocking on my door. I'm not worried about a deer. I'm worried about a corrupt government that wants to take my freedom away, right? So therefore, the founding fathers of America got something right when they said, you know what? Every citizen should have the right to do what? Defend themselves and their family and their property. From who? The government. Amen. That's what the Second Amendment is all about, right? And I'm not here to get into the gun debate. You may be anti-gun, pro-gun, or whatever. But I'm just telling you, if you don't have a police department and the response time of 911 is about 20 to 30 to 50 minutes, you better have some way to defend yourself and your family if something does happen. But that's what anarchy does. It creates a culture where everyone is fear-based, and we have to be very, very careful that one of the great freedoms of this country is that we do have the right to defend ourselves and our property and our people. Amen. And I love that right, okay? But we don't want to see anarchy. This is a picture from, I think, Minneapolis last year. That's anarchy. Now let's talk about communism for just a second. Remember, anarchy is kind of the ugly uh, mother, stepchild or something of communism. You know, it's, it's very connected and tied together. But let's talk for just a second about communism. Listen to these statistics. In the 20th century alone, it is estimated that over 150 million people have died due to genocide or mass starvation in places like China and Russia. And now we're living in a, in a society and a, an entire generation is growing up in America that thinks socialism is cool, man. Like, yeah, we need to be so... You know, the, the best way to break a generational millennial or whoever you want to say about socialism is just get them a one-way ticket to Venezuela and let them go live down there for a little while. Amen. Let them live in, in socialist Venezuela for about six months, and they're going to come crying back to America to say, I don't want anything to do with socialism. Because socialism, again, grows basically into communism. They're basically... They're a little different, but they're basically one and the same. Total totalitarian control of the government over every aspect of our life. And guys, every time communism arises on the earth, it is always under mass violence and murder and genocide. Amen. Okay? 
We don't want to have to experience this. And if we think that it's been bad in the 20th century alone, there's something in Revelation 6 that's telling us it's probably going to get worse. Okay? And I think communism has a lot to do with that. Amen. Now, let's talk about terrorism. Terrorism. Satan is a terrorist. Amen. He wants to strike terror and fear into the hearts of people. He wants to destroy their lives. That's what terror... We live in a generation that has to account for this thought, daily thought of terrorism. Bombings, suicide bombings, attacks, you know, uh, mass shootings, all this kind of stuff that's, that's increasingly more and more prevalent in our, in our uh, nation, in our society. We are living through that right now, which then kind of leads us to what I would call the Islamic perspective of holy war, which is what they call jihad, okay? No matter what they want to tell you, it does not mean it's some personal, individual struggle that a Muslim has. That, that's from their own sources, jihad, that Muslims are taught to fight unbelievers, to completely eradicate unbelievers. Either they convert to Islam or they... That is Muslim scripture, guys. I'm, I'm not here to pick on Islam. I know y'all hear me talk about Islam a lot in this, in this context, but there is a real belief system out there that, te- that if people live by their word, which is the Quran that's given to them, then they, if they're really living out their faith and what the Quran teaches, then they should join up with this campaign to fight every single unbeliever on the face of the planet until the whole world is what? Muslim. And that's their belief system. In the same way that Christians, our great commission is to go unto all the nations and preach the gospel to the whole earth, but we do it not in violence, we do it in what? In love and peace. We share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, praying that people will come to know Jesus to the whole earth. We would love to see the whole world converted to Jesus Christ, but Islam just has a different way of doing it. They basically subjugate their people with violence and terrorism. That's the world in which we're living in. And if you want to talk about the effects of Islam, go talk to people in Europe right now and see what they're dealing with. Okay, so I mean, these are all things that we have to be very careful about. Now look at what Jesus said in Matthew 24. He said, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for whose name? For the name of Jesus. So if you identify as a Christian and you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, he's telling us that because of his name, we will be what? Hated. And then many will fall away. They will betray one another and hate one another. The rider on the red horse, he's permitted to take peace from the earth so that man would slay one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, saying, peace, peace, and security, it's okay. No, it's not okay. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow close. How many of you now, when you hear somebody knock on your door, you cringe? Why, why are we at that point? Lawlessness. How many of you now, when you see somebody that you don't recognize walk up and down your street, you start to get what? A little suspicious. Why is that? Lawlessness. What happens to our love? Our love grows cold. Why is it now when you pass somebody on the street and they're broken down and you say, mm, 
I need to stop and help them, but maybe, maybe not a good idea. Why, why does our love for that person grow cold? Lawlessness. Because we've heard the horror stories. We, we, we know that there's a potential out there now, that there's a greater potential for us to be attacked or robbed or beaten or, God forbid, murdered or something like that. So we don't take those risks anymore because our love has grown cold. That's what Jesus said. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. So that kind of leads us, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because when we get to the fifth seal, the fifth seal is exclusively talking about the worst persecution of the saints, the church, God's people, that the world has ever seen will happen during the Great Tribulation, and that's where the martyrs will be basically given over to the Antichrist, to this rider on the white horse. He will prevail over us in that sense. But we will conquer him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, not loving our lives even unto death. That's what the Scripture says. How do we conquer this Antichrist who's going to be coming, targeting God's people? It says that we do not love our lives unto even unto death. That's how we endure to the and we remain faithful whether we survive this time period or we don't. We remain faithful to the very end, which may mean our death. And we have to accept that and understand that. But that's part of this, this red horse. Look at what Jesus said. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a, a sword. Remember this rider on the red horse? He was given a sword. He's going he's to divide people over Christ. So that those who are truly committed and faithful to Christ are going to choose Christ, whether it means their life or not. And those who really are not born again and not committed to Christ, they will fall away. They will deny Jesus. They will renounce the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever is worthy of me, he will love Jesus more than anyone else. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's the rider on the white horse, the little horn. He made war with the saints. He prevailed over them. He'll wear out the saints of the Most High for three and a half years, a time, time, and half a time. Revelation 13, 5, the beast was given authority, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months, three and a half years. It was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. That's us. We're the saints. Authority was given to this beast over every tribe, people, and nation. So guys, this time of violence and bloodshed and war. Now again, will it become like a, a world war again like it was in the days of Hitler or, or World War I or World War II? I don't know. I don't know the extent that all the other nations will be in conflict with one another. But I do know that when the beast takes authority at, after the abomination that causes desolation, he'll have that three and a half year period where he is just going to go on a killing spree. And I believe that's part of what's happening here with the rider on the red horse. I got about 10 minutes. I want to talk to you briefly about the third seal. We probably won't finish. But let's, let's go ahead and look at the third seal. Okay? The rider on a black horse. I think there's some interesting things that you're going to find here. So, Jesus tears the third seal. And I heard a third living creature say, Come. And I looked and behold, a black horse... And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. Now, that's not what you weigh on every morning to make sure you're the right weight, right? We're talking about balances that they would measure food and money and all that kind of stuff. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Do not harm the oil or 
the wine. What is the rider on the black horse? The rider on the black horse represents devastating global famines, economic collapse, and hyperinflation in the last days. If you ever look at what's happening in Venezuela, there is money just, just blowing up and down the streets, paper money. Why? It's worthless. Hyperinflation. We're starting to see a little bit of it here in America, right? Lumber costs going way up. The dollar doesn't go as far as it used to, right? But what we're seeing here in the rider on the black horse is that there's going to be devastating global famines, economic collapse, hyperinflation in the last days, okay? So let me give you a couple of uh, facts about this, and we'll, we'll try to bring this one to a close, okay? So let's talk about famine. The Bible says a lot about famine. There was a famine in the days of Abram when he went to Egypt. There was a famine in the days of Joseph, a famine in the days of Elijah, a famine in the days of Elisha. Uh, the Soviet famine of 1932 and 33. again, remember, Soviet communists usually starved their own people. There's estimated 7 to 10 million people died in that famine. The Great Chinese Famine in 1960, uh, there's a reported at least 15 million deaths, but some people think as many as 20 to 50 million people died because basically what these communist governments did is they, they took all the farmers away and put them to work in steel mills and factories, and they couldn't farm anymore, and all of a sudden they didn't have any what? Food to eat. Man, that's real smart, right? And so everybody starved to death, except the communists who stay in positions of power, and of course they have food on their table, right? Because that's the way communism works. So we have to be very, very careful. So what are the causes of famine? Okay, let's look at some of the primary causes. Jesus said there will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Jesus said there will be famines and earthquakes, and these are the beginning of birth pains. There's something that I want to bring to your attention that I think is maybe at play here. When God gave Torah to the Israelites, He gave, he gave a conditional covenant to them saying... If you obey me, what will happen? I'll bless you. You're going to get rain. You're going to produce children. Your crops will grow. If you disobey me, what will happen? It's going to be cursing, famine. You're going to be, life's going to be hard for you. And I think there may be something here. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy 11. He says, if you'll serve the Lord with all your heart, he will give you rain in its season, early rain, the later rain. He'll give you grass in the fields, livestock that you will eat and be full. Man, this is good stuff. But take care unless you go and worship other gods. He says the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. He will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit and you will perish quickly off the good land the Lord your God has given you. In Leviticus 26, he says he's going to strike them sevenfold for their sins. There'll be a sword and the vengeance and pestilence. He's going to break your supply of bread. People will not be able to eat and be satisfied. He says, I'll discipline you sevenfold for your sins. Ooh, look at what it says. You'll eat the flesh of your sons and your daughters. Cannibalism. Like You'll get to that point. You're like, man, I'll, we could never get to that point. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of stop right there because I think that, that there's some things with Joseph that, that we could probably get into. But let me just give you this, this statistic before we go. Okay, J Just to kind of put things in perspective. We'll touch on this again, but before we go, I want to do this. Look at the rider on the, on the black horse. He said, a quart of wheat will cost a denarius. Three quarts of barley will cost a denarius. 
Now, let's talk about hyperinflation real quick. Right now, the, well, numbers may be different now. Please, I did this about a month ago. It may be different. But last I checked, a bushel of wheat, which is, again, where, what do we get from wheat? Bread. It's like the basic you know, thing that we got to have to eat. Okay, A bushel of wheat was somewhere between 4 to $5 a bushel. Okay, Which means, what does that mean when it says a denarius... One quart of wheat will cost a denarius. Now, in, in biblical days, a denarius was basically one day's wage. That's on average today. If we take kind of an average number, that's about $100 a day. The average working man, middle class, maybe makes about $100 a day. Okay? So what this is saying is that for one quart of wheat, it'll cost a man an entire day's wage. And you say, well, that's, that's not terrible, is it? Right now, guess how much a quart of wheat costs? 15 cents. Okay? So basically, if you want to go buy bread in the store, that's, that's based on how much wheat costs. And it costs 15 cents to buy one quart of wheat. But in this day of global famine, it's going to cost you $100, give or take, relatively speaking, just to buy what? One quart of wheat that maybe will be able to feed you and your family for a meal. Maybe a meal. $100. Do you know what kind of inflation that is? That is an inflation of 57,000% inflation. And the Bible says that in these days when this rider on the black horse is unleashed, there will be global famine. War is going to be going on everywhere. So war creates more famine. There's going to be drought everywhere because God's sending judgment with drought. We'll talk about that next time. And it's going to be very, very difficult and hard to feed your family. Now, as I, as I close, I don't say that to say to create cause too much fear in your heart. But I'm just going to go ahead and tell you what I think. Okay? The Lord's Prayer. Give us this day. Our daily bread. We will never have prayed that prayer for the very first time like we do during this time. That prayer will take on a whole new what? Meaning, God, I don't have enough food to feed my family. Please give me this day. Just enough. Just enough to get through the day. I believe, maybe not everywhere, but in parts of the believing community on the world during this time of great tribulation, I believe we'll see a repetition of some of the Miracles that took place in the wilderness with the children of Israel. Because they didn't have food in the desert. So what did God do? He sent down bread from heaven. Is that literal? Absolutely. Will we see it again? I think so. God sent water from a rock. Will we, God fed Elijah during the time of famine with a bunch of what? Ravens. Will we see a repeat? Will we have enough faith in those days to say, God, I'm starving. My family has nothing to eat. I can't even afford a, bread, a piece of bread for my family. Give me this day, Lord, please, my daily bread. And will we see? Now, does that mean that all of us will survive and maybe some of us will starve? I don't know, but I just believe with all my heart that the reason we have these pictures of miraculous super, supernatural provision in the Old Testament is that because God is going to do it again. He will do it again. That's what the whole Bible is about. Prophetic patterns. Everything that has happened in the Old Testament will be repeated and replayed in different ways in this time of the end. And it's time for our faith, guys, to get real. Amen. 
It's so easy to run to the store and grab food now, but we may get to the point where it's not like that. And so I just say all that to say, are we ready? Are we prepared? Do we have faith? Do we really believe that prayer? Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Amen? Something to think about, right?